morning. Good morning. Yeah. Okay. Let's get going. I'm, uh, I'm Pete. I'm part of the team here at Cardiff Vineyard. Um, yeah. It's, uh, if you haven't met me before, you might have seen me on the welcome. I'm the face of welcome in the church now. And uh, I have to endure the pain of watching myself every Sunday on the screen. <laughs> but no... Um, yeah, that's, um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to pick up our Joshua series again today. Um, <clears throat> we're talk, we've been looking at courage from heaven. It's been a few weeks since we've been looking at Joshua, but uh, yeah, um, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 20 today, and I thought I'd just recap, because it's been a few weeks, uh, what we've been doing. Uh, we've been looking at... Um, at, at, at the book of Joshua, and, and Joshua, we've seen Joshua take over from Moses, and with boldness and courage, he stepped out into the promised land. Um, we've seen him having strength and courage as he's defeated many of the nations uh, and kings that were occupying the promised land and that opposed the Lord's people. And then um, he's... Uh, He's taken, he's taken a lot of land, but at this stage, we come to chapter 13, and he's beaten, lots of, he's, he's beaten up lots of the bad guys, but he's still got some land within the promised land still to be taken. But it says in chapter 13, Joshua's grown old, and so his best battle days would seem to be behind him now. So what, the, what, the, what God instructs uh, Joshua to do is start dividing up the land, and so he, he, the, the, the land starts getting divided up. And you can read this through chapters 13 to 19. And all the different tribes of Israel get a portion of land. And uh, the boundaries of those are described. And then we come to Joshua chapter 20. Ooh, do you know what? I don't have my Bible. So I can't read it. Let's read it. <laughs> Grab my Bible. So Joshua 20, you can turn there in your Bibles or you can follow it on the screen behind me. So, uh, cities of refuge. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of these cities, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. Okay, great. So yeah, um, this is the passage we're looking at today. So yeah, I hope that through this passage, we might just see some of what God's purpose is for the city and then move in to look at how we can have courage uh, to see our city transformed into God's purposes. And so the first, the first thing we're just looking at is this, this thing of refuge and God's purpose for the city. Do you know, as I've been reading around this topic the last few weeks, it's just become really clear to me that God loves cities. God loves cities. In fact, what we see in this passage is, is him instructing the Israelites after taking a whole lot of land to go build some cities. God commands the people of God to build cities, first and first, firstly. He, he endorsed the cities. He, he, it was his idea for them to be built, and he encouraged their formation. 
And um, the Bible, uh, the story of the Bible starts in the garden, doesn't it? In Genesis, we're in a garden, the Garden of Eden. But it ends in a holy city in Revelation, chapter 21. You can read about that. You know, we're going to spend most of our eternity in a holy city. And God loves cities. And so we see that also the first cities that God told the Israelites to build were to be these special cities called cities of refuge. Why does God do this? Because God had a purpose for the city. And part of God's plans for cities is for them to be places of refuge. So the the Israelites lived under the old law, the old law, an eye for, Exodus 21 says this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a wound for a wound, a life for a life. Do you know, in this law, in the old law, you ju- you, if, you did, if something went wrong, if you did something wrong, you had to pay for it, um, like for like. You know, there was no grace or mercy in this. And we were before Jesus' time here and before the cross, which paid for all this stuff. So this was the law, an eye for an eye. And you know, some of, some of you guys play, some of the guys here play football Monday, Tuesday nights. I've just caught Rob Kissick's eye, so I'll use him as, a, as an example for this story. So yeah, um, Monday night football, I'm, I'm, it, we're in the old law. Let's just imagine we're in the old law. Um, I, uh, Rob Kissick, with his blistering pace and incredible skills, <laughs> manages to, um, to, to meg me. And uh, I'm, the meg, meg means he's kicked the ball through my legs, which is probably the most shameful thing that can happen on a football pitch. And, and so there I am, humiliated. And um, in, my, in, a, in, a, in a moment of rage and, and, and anger, I, I swipe, swipe him to the ground. Down he goes, like a ton of bricks. And, uh, you know, he's got, he's got a massive gash right down his, his leg. Big, big cut right down his leg. And so we're in the old law. So um, Rob then proceeds to get his pen knife out to uh, find the place of uh, his injury on my leg. And he starts replicating the, the injury like for like. And, and do you know, you could, you, could, you, know, you could argue that I'm getting what I deserve there. But, you know, I'm glad we still don't live under this old law. <laughs> you, could, you can see how it, it was easy for things to get out of hand within this. It was easy for things to get dangerous for innocent people to start getting hunted down and paying for things that maybe weren't their fault. And, and so God could see that this wasn't okay, and cities were designed to be places of refuge where they could flee to and get a fair trial because cities were places of civilization. The law of the jungle wouldn't hold in a, in a city. You know, you could get a fair trial. And it was where God's, God's purpose here was that cities would be the first place that justice would develop. Um, so how does this apply for us today? Well, cities are still places of refuge for many. Um, Tim Keller says this. Uh, cities have always been places where people come who are too weak to live in other places. Cities have always been merciful places for people who don't have power. Why is this the case? Because uh, people who are normally scattered and in a minority can come together in a city and support one another. They can interact with a majority culture, but still at the same time be a part of their old minority culture. That's why immigrants come to cities. That's why artists come to cities. 
You don't find homeless people down at Ogmore when you head to the beach. Um, No, they're all in the city center because there's refuge for them there and there's mercy for them there. And even though our cities are still under the influence of sin and they're not everything God intended them to be, we still see them function as places of refuge for many. You know, and I think we can broaden this idea of refuge as well. So what is refuge? Have you ever looked for refuge in your life? Have you ever needed refuge sorted out? When I was thinking about this in my own life, when have, when have I looked for refuge? What, what, can I, what can I use as an example? The first thing came to mind was um, me and Claire were on, on honeymoon. This is quite a long time ago now. And we were driving through, we did a big road trip through America and Canada. Um, and, and it was great fun. We, we ended up in Quebec City in Canada. And we were out in the, the town square, uh, the city square. And, and the, it was a beautiful day, but dark, these dark clouds came over and then the heavens opened up and it wasn't rain, but it was hailstones. And these hailstones were like, it's one of these stories, I think the hailstones get bigger every time I tell it. But they, <laughs> they, were, they were the size of marbles, like coming down. They were pounding us on, on, on the head and they were painful, like we were, like, it was physically causing pain. And so... We were sat in this really open square, needing refuge, needing uh, somewhere to get shelter. And we found a a telephone box, uh, a phone booth, and we were huddled in there for about 10 minutes whilst this downpour of ice from heaven came down. And um, do you know, but it was a moment, it was a moment that I needed refuge. And there's something in the word refuge, isn't there? To need it, to look for it, to, to have to seek it out, you have to be desperate. You have to have a moment of desperation, and there's a desperation in the word refuge. God's purpose for the city is, is for it to be a place where the desperate could find safety and shelter. And you know, there's a lot of desperate people in our city. There's maybe some of you here feel you're, you're in, in, in a place of desperation. And, uh, you know, Jesus looked around when he was on earth. It talks about him looking around and seeing the crowds. He described them as harassed and helpless. You know, there was a picture of desperation and his heart broke for them. And so God's purpose, is this, for, purpose for the city is that all would find refuge, all would be restored, and that all would find mercy in their place of desperation. Do you know, this is a picture of a city where a middle-aged man who's desperately lonely can find refuge in community. A city where a single mother lumbered with debt and desperate in her poverty would find mercy and provision. A city where the teenage girl desperate to know who she is in a world that constantly compares her and critiques her online will find refuge in her identity as a child of God. A city where the ex-con just out of prison, desperate for a second chance in life, isn't judged on his previous mistakes. Do you know, you could go, and I could go on and on. That's just a few examples. But let's let's talk about our city. Let's talk about Cardiff. Um, Do you know, I love this city. I love living here. Do you know, there's nowhere else I'd rather be right now than living in this city. This city's been so good and so kind to me. It's a beautiful city, great city center, lots of parks, beaches, mountains, all on our doorstep. You know, I find the people here warm, fun, and friendly for the most part, bar, for, bar from a few dodgy English people who've sneaked in across the border. <laughs> but for the most part, they're all right. And, you know, I love living here. I love being here. 
and it's a wonderful place. And you know, Cardiff is a wonderful place of refuge for so many. Part of my, my role um, is uh, in church as I lead a ministry called Open Door, uh, which is on Friday mornings. And it's, uh, it's like a little mini church for homeless and marginalized people in our city. And a few weeks ago, I had a guy come to me describing how he had moved from London to Cardiff because he had heard Cardiff offered more and welcomed homeless people in. You might have heard some cities putting, like stories of cities putting spikes on like benches and, and making park benches unable, uh, like disabling them from, from being able, that you could lie across them and sleep on them putting things outside shop fronts to deter homeless people from being in the city center. But, you know, Cardiff, Cardiff doesn't do those things, and it's actually it's got a growing reputation within the homeless community of being a place of, of refuge. Now, the council see this as a big problem because you've got people like this guy coming to our city with no connection here, turning up, and, uh, and, and with nowhere to live. But you know, I, I think that's amazing. I, I'm, you know, this is something that makes me really proud to live here, that we've got a reputation of being a city that welcomes in homeless people. And you know, it's not that just the homeless coming here and finding refuge in Cardiff, but people are coming from all over the world. Um, we welcome many asylum seekers into our city and have seen many welcomed into our own church community as well. Um, I'm just going to put on some stuff about the City of Sanctuary um, up above. So on the 5th of June 2014, Cardiff became the seventh city to officially become recognized as a City of Sanctuary. And under this movement, the City of Cardiff is now, so from 2014, encouraging an acceptance of people's culture, skills, and differences, and viewing them as a positive addition to the City of Cardiff demonstrating a shared commitment to promoting an environment of sanctuary throughout Cardiff where people feel supported and welcomed and creating relationships, community cohesion and inclusion. So as of 2014, our government, our council, our authorities in our city are, this is part of the vision for the city. And isn't, do you know, I think that is amazing. I think that is amazing because do you see that this is already, this is a kingdom vision of a city of refuge that our city is already pursuing. And I know we haven't got it all sorted here and there's a lot of people come here and don't uh, experience refuge or um, restoration, but it's a wonderful vision for our city to have. I think this is a rare and exciting thing. And as a church, it means as we step into providing refuge and sanctuary for the desperate, that we have blessing from heaven, but also the blessing of our city as we do that. Okay, so let's just talk about moving then from refuge to restoration. Refuge to restoration. So all of this fits with this series that we did a while back on restoring the city. Restoring the city, renewing a, a nation. Refuge is the start of the restoration journey. Once you find refuge in your place of desperation, you can move in to potentially experiencing restoration and being restored. Our own compassion ministries here in church, our restore ministries are all bringing refuge to the desperate. Storehouse, Lingo, Grow Baby, Tabs, Connect, Blend, and Open Door are all there to serve the desperate in our city and to see their lives restored. Um, I got to um, 
go along to the National Leaders Conference um, in Nottingham, which is a, it's a vineyard conference that happens once a year, and they have lots of great speakers um, come and speak at it. And uh, yeah, when I was there this year, um, there was a seminar done by a guy called Trey Shepherd, who's part of Causeway Coast Vineyard. And uh, do you know that the, the, this was the seminar and this was the, 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 the uh, talk that really impacted me the most and really challenged me. And I felt that there was something really significant in what he was saying for our church and just at the stage that we're at as a, as a church community. And so this is one of the quotes of, of what he said. You can find the talk on the Vineyard Church's website. So the dream for the church is not that our churches are filled with people, but that our cities are filled with hope. The end goal of the gospel is not churches filled with people, but cities filled with hope, cities filled with salvation, and cities filled with the redemptive story of Christ. And so I love that. I love that because it's broadening the gospel into something that isn't just for this room and this building, but should impact our whole city. It should transform our whole city. And you know, for me, I was listening to this and I felt like God was saying that this is our time as a church to step into more of this, to step into more of seeing our city discipled and transformed as a church community. And I believe we're gonna get more and more opportunities to do that in the next chapter of our, our journey as a church. Do you know, it was this kind of vision that got me hooked on the vineyard. Our, our very first week in Belfast Vineyard, nearly 10 years ago, there was a talk Andy Smith did about the vision uh, for the church in the city, and it captivated me. It totally captivated me because it was, it was so bold and it was so big, and you could see that he really believed, like the church was only like 100 people at that point. He really believed that his little church I was coming in first time in a vineyard church. His little church of 100 people, he really, you could see that he meant it and he believed it. He really believed that it could transform the city and he had lots of these different ways that he was explaining that that could be done. It's like that kingdom parable, you know, the kingdom parables of the mustard seed. The mustard seed, like the tiniest seed, the smallest seed that becomes a huge big tree and the birds are able to nest in it and everything like the yeast uh, parable, which, which is like you only need a tiny amount of yeast um, in, in the dough, and it spreads right through the dough, and it transforms the loaf. Without it in it, the loaf is completely, it's just a flat bread. But with the yeast, it rises and completely transforms the dough. The dough. You know, you may think you've only got a little to bring, but in the kingdom of God, God loves breathing on something small and seeing it become great and mighty. So um, what does this look like for our city? What does it look like for us to see the hope that we know that is in this room that we've experienced this morning in worship pour into our city and be a church that leads our city into restoration? Uh, one example of where we're maybe seeing this, and this is just one example, there's, there's probably lots of others, but this is one that I knew well because of my, my, my role in church, is, is just again within the homeless community in Cardiff. You know, I find, I find myself a few weeks ago at City Hall representing Open Door um, at a citywide uh, homeless forum. And you know, it was amazing because the message coming from the front, I was put on by the council, but the message coming from the front 
was that people don't just need a roof over their heads, that the problem of homelessness is far bigger than that. And um, the, the things that they felt for people to, to, to come off the streets and to stay off the streets and have their lives changed and, 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 and to move on with their lives, there was two things that they felt needed to happen. And one was a purpose. They needed a purpose for their life. They needed a purpose for their life. And the, the second thing was that they needed strong relationships in their life as well. So purpose and relationships. And you know, um, as the afternoon went on, there was lots of ch- churches and charities there represented. But um, it became clear that it was the church, churches in the room that were better at providing meaningful relationships and giving purpose to people's lives than any council scheme or project. Do you know, Jesus transforms lives as we bring them into community and relationship formed around him. And as the church, at the, at, at the minute, we are, we're actually, we're totally transforming this part of our city. If you took all the churches and took all the Christians out of our city, Cardiff's ability to function as a place of, of restoration for, uh, for, as refuge, as a place of refuge for the homeless community would be massively diminished. It'd be, it'd, be complete, it'd be completely diminished. Last week, we heard um, Helen share about her community house with an incredible vision to see family redefined. And she read out a letter of someone who had written to them describing their house as an oasis, as a place of refuge. Do you know, what if our culture um, and our church embraced this type of kingdom community and it spread across our city and nation. This comes against our Western individualistic culture and it creates an open-handed, generous way of living. It's a little mustard seed that could disciple a city and disciple a nation. So then, courage to see refuge and restoration. What, let's talk a bit about courage and how we can start to see this happen in our own um, city. It's been wonderful to to see you guys, uh, a lot of you guys posting on the Facebook page, Matt's already mentioned it, Thousand Acts of Courage, stories pouring in. And you guys have been doing great. If you're not already signed up for this, get involved. Um, the, the reality is that it takes courage to be merciful to the broken. It takes, um, it takes courage. It's, it takes courage to be a restoration people that the Bible's calling us to be. Because um, it's countercultural, do you know? It's countercultural. So often, society tells people who are desperate that they deserve to be where they are because of the choices they've made. You know, there's no mercy and there's no there's no grace in that. And so, it always takes courage to stand against that tide and to provide mercy and love. Alan Scott used to say that that used to have this phrase, looking at where we start in this kind of stuff um, around where does our city need need its feet washed? That's where we start. Where does our city need its feet washed? Where does Cardiff need its feet washed today? And you know, some of you maybe got to experience hand washing over the Monday, Thursday meals, but like it's a a vulnerable and moving thing to wash someone's hands and, and feet. It takes us getting on our knees. It takes us getting our hands dirty. It take, and that takes courage. Anytime you're getting on your knees, getting your hands dirty, you gotta, you gotta step out of comfort and you've gotta, you know, that takes courage. And you know, I've shared a lot of positive things about what we are seeing within Cardiff at the minute. But the reality is, 
there is just so much desperation in our city. You know, there's so much des- there's so much people, there's so many people out there desperate. And you know, I go through that, that list of people that I mentioned earlier, the, the middle-aged man who's desperately lonely, who's gonna have courage to invite this guy into community? Do you know there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of them out there? The single mother lumbered with debt, desperate in her poverty, who's gonna support her? Who's gonna provide for her? Who's gonna have the courage to stand up for her? The teenage girl desperate to know who she is in a world where she's constantly compared and critiqued online. Who's gonna have the courage to share the gospel with her? Who's going to go into our schools and disciple our young people? Who's gonna show her what it looks like to have an identity in Christ? The ex-con just out of prison, desperate for a second chance in life. Who's gonna give him that second chance? Do you know, the city isn't gonna do that. Who's Who's gonna believe in them? when the rest of the city has written them off. And you know, so I, I, just coming in to an end, and I, you know, I'm just gonna invite the band up uh, because we're, we're just gonna have a bit of, bit of time and a bit of space for ministry today. Um, do you know, as I, I, asked, I asked God, um, do you know, God, what do you, you know, what do you say about our city? When you look over our city, God, what do you see? What do you, what do you say about it? And do you know, God really clearly communicated to me and really powerfully communicated to me that he we, he's weeping over our city. Um, do you know, God looks over our city and he is full with, of, he, he's, he's weeping, he is moved. It's like Jesus in that thing. He sees, he sees the crowds as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And um, do you know, I just felt like there was something in that this morning. We're just going to move into uh, a time of, of, of ministry.